It's Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. I'm Cameron Weir, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online, since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Today, on the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote, Donald Trump pardoned suffragette Susan B. Anthony for her 1872 conviction for illegal voting. Trump was so moved by Susan's story because she had the courage to vote illegally in person instead of by mail. While we're on the subject of mail, following the threat of possible legal action by Congress and several states, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy announced today that he will suspend any additional changes to the post office until after the election. I guess you can say he's taken the joy out of election tampering. Last night at the Democratic convention, Michelle Obama said about Trump, he has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he's clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. It is what it is. Proven that she can go high and still hit Trump pretty low. Also in her speech, the former first lady said that Trump is the wrong president for our country. Now, pardon the mansplaining, Mrs. Obama, but I think you meant any country. Speaking of strong women, New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, called remarks by Trump patently wrong after the president claimed that her country's 13 new coronavirus infections were a terrible thing that we don't want. Now, I can only imagine there are about 170,000 Americans who would have been thrilled with the U.S. having something as horrible as New Zealand's outbreak. The St. Louis couple who pointed guns at protesters last month will be giving a speech at the Republican convention. Staying on brand, their speech bullet points, actual bullets! Pizza Hut will be shutting down 300 locations as one of its biggest franchise owners files for bankruptcy. On a good note, for all of you getting evicted on the first, there are 300 huts available for immediate occupancy. Kanye West says that he wants to create a TikTok for Christians called Jesus Talk, which answers the question, if you wanted to do something more useless than a TikTok video, what would Jesus do? Britney Spears is requesting that her father be taken off the conservatorship that controls her money. We cannot agree more that Britney should have control of her finances. That is until, oops, she does it again. And by it, we clearly mean goes crazy. Ryan Reynolds sold his gin company Aviation for $610 million. Good job by Ryan flipping a $20 bottle of gin for the mini bar price. Now let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily Cast and Crew Roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello, and as always, I've got some of my TMI Hollywood family here with me. Let's say hello to everyone watching at home, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or their streaming service of their choice. Let's start with you, Pete. It's 107 degrees where we live. Wherever you are is better. Joe. Hi, everyone. And besides it being um, uh, the anniversary of women getting the vote, it is also National Fajita Day. So you can make fajitas. If you're in L.A., you can make it on the sidewalk. (laughs) There you go, Jeff. What's up, listeners? Be sure to like. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Thank you. Uh, You you should be talking (laughs) to strippers. How's it going? Emma. Hey, y'all. How you doing? And Chris. What's up, guys? Uh, as a man of the South, I won't complain about the heat, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in a few minutes... Thanks for taking that stand. <laughs> in a few minutes, we're also going to be joined by the host of the podcast, Daily Dose of Reality. So we're going to have some fun and talk reality TV with him. Okay, so let's get started. A lot of people have heard the term suffragette and have heard about the suffrage movement. But in researching today's story, we realized that there was so much about this that most people probably don't know. To start off, can someone explain what the term suffrage means? The right to vote. Very good. By women, but it, it, it's also, uh, it was actually always associated with women though. No, it wasn't. Go back to 1700s France, like right after the revolution, okay. there was universal suffrage movement, which meant all, all peons I'm, and poor people get to vote. Suffrage I'm giving in to you. Right to vote. If, if okay. you say so, I'm just going with Trying it. to be factual. Okay. 
we like facts here on TMI Daily. Thank you, Jeff. Why not? So the first recognized account of a woman making the argument for women's right to vote comes from a 1792 UK book called A Vindication of the Rights of Women by Mary Wollstonecraft. Why did the suffrage movement begin in the U.S.? Uh, I'd like to clarify, like back to my other statement, I, it, for, it didn't necessarily start in the U.S. Like this was something that was happening in France mm-hmm. okay. at that time. So that's no coincidence that that was 1790 because like around 1760s-ish, uh, that's when it became a big movement, the universal mm-hmm. suffrage movement of France. I think it's 1760s. At least the text I've written, uh, r- read are written during that period where they're talking about it, but I don't know the exact date. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh, go ahead, Pete. So um, actually, uh, and this is, again, something we, we figured out today. Um, before the suffrage movement ever actually began in the United States, um, one woman actually became the first person, the first woman to ever vote in, in, in the American colonies in 1756. Um, her name was Lydia Taft. She was a wealthy widow in Uxbridge, Massachusetts. Uh, She was allowed to vote in town halls as like a proxy to her dead husband. Um, So they allowed that, but they wouldn't allow her to vote in any other way. But yeah, so in 1756, that was when the first woman in the American colonies was given the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And that is correct. So American women began, (laughs) you're welcome. So American women began demanding the right to vote from as far back as the 1840s. In 1848, the Seneca Falls Convention became the first women's rights convention, during which the participants passed a resolution demanding that women have the right to vote. In 1850, the first National Women's Rights Convention was held in Massachusetts, and it involved discussions about uh, abolishing slavery, temperance, equal pay, women's property rights, marriage reform, and of course, the woman's right to vote. Over the next two decades, women's suffrage became became the main agenda of most women's movements of the time. In 1869, two competing suffrage organizations were established, one which was led by Susan B. Anthony. What do you know about Susan B. Anthony? Didn't she make the flag or something? That's all I know. She's on a coin. So that's Betsy Ross who made the flag. Susan B. Anthony is known for her work as a suffragette. Uh, she was the first. She was one of the first women to uh, illegally vote, which kind of forced uh, a legal lo- a lawsuit that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, she was really good about using all every aspect of the system to uh, push for her agenda. The Rosa Parks of voting. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, you know, again, looking into, you know, this information, the, the woman sounds kind of like a saint because, I mean, at 16 years old, she was fighting for the rights of slaves to be freed. Um, I, I mean, she was she, she was like already involved in like uh, the temperance movement. And for anybody who doesn't know what the temperance movement was, it's what eventually led to uh, the, the uh, abolition of, uh, of alcohol in the United States years later. Yes. But yeah, yeah, but uh, but but the. Uh, the, the thing was that the temperance movement was all about making sure that the man was the was the head of household. Um, so like so, you know, say you, you know, your wife wanted to you know, have a drink or your wife, I don't know, just wanted to divorce you. Well, the man could basically say no to it. Um, and that was all part of the temperance movement. And she was well, also part of the it. temperance movement, just to be sure, you know, was that, you know, it was kind of the, their way of fighting alcoholism because many men would come home drunk. And they would take it out on their families mm-hmm. or they would just not work because they would rather go drinking. And so the temperance movement kind of was that answer to that as well, too. Have you seen? Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely definitely was. But I, I mean, you know, it's it's when you look at these these, you know, what, what they used to do in this country. It's it's amazing that women are even even want to have anything to do with men anymore. Um, not that many of them do. But, but no, I mean, like like because of the temperance movement. If a woman did get a divorce, which was near to impossible, she immediately lost her children. There was, there was no argument. You couldn't go to court about it. It wasn't going to happen. You know, and so essentially women were men's property. And, and it was interesting, too, because 
one of the things that the women's movement was, was also fighting for was, was women to get the ability to own land because that was another way that they kept women from voting because um, early amendments in the Constitution said that only landowners could actually vote. Um, and so yeah, they and thought that's... that they could get around... Yeah, they could get around actually ever, you know, ever letting women vote as long as they didn't let them have land. And that the landowner thing is very, very old. And that's that's where the universal suffrage movement in France started was people were like, well, how come these landowners are the mm-hmm. only ones that, that get to vote? But uh, if we're going to talk about who should who should uh, be included in suffrage, I'd love to. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but uh, I, I don't know if I'm far off from that. The whole landowner thing, like I, I don't believe that I don't believe in universal suffrage. Like not a hundred percent. In what sense? Um, I think that like, I don't think land, like specifically landowners should be the ones to vote, but I think anybody who doesn't like, if you're, if you're paying taxes, that's, that should be your ticket to vote. If you're not paying taxes or you're a net uh, drain, like if all, let's say all you're doing is receiving um, uh, government entitlements and you're not paying in or you haven't paid in, then you shouldn't be voting because then you have a vested interest in voting for more uh, things to pay you out, which is the same reason they don't let prisoners vote is because then they have an interest in voting for like, oh, let's repeal the law that got me into prison. Like, so I think I think it goes hand in hand with that. Okay. Um, so I want to go back to Susan B. Anthony. And I know, Pete, you mentioned that she was um, she led an anti-slavery movement and it was actually at age 17 when she did that. Um, Yeah, so she collected um, anti-slavery petitions at that age. Um, So one of the strategies of the suffrage movement was to urge women to attempt to vote. And when they would be turned away, file federal lawsuits that they hoped would eventually reach the Supreme Court where they believed the court might allow them the right. Um, In 1872, Susan B. Anthony with 14 women with her convinced an elections inspector in Rochester, New York, to allow them to cast ballots in the presidential election, which they did. This led to Anthony's arrest for illegal voting. The trial, which lasted into June of 1873, ended in Anthony being found guilty and ordered to pay $100, which she said she never would, and she never did. In 1878, a friend of Anthony's, Senator Aaron A. Sargent, introduced a woman's suffrage amendment to Congress. That amendment took 42 years to finally be ratified and put into law as the 19th Amendment on August 8, 1920. So think about that the next time you complain about Mitch McConnell not taking up bills for a year. The story of the women in this country and others who fought for the right to vote could take up a month of show here. And we suggest you do research into it because it's really a fascinating subject. That doesn't, get, that doesn't get a lot of attention as it should. So let's talk about today. Does anyone know who has a higher percentage of voter turnout, men or women? That's um, Emma. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> in Why two, is that? <laughs> well, I have, some, I have some interesting facts here. So in 2016, about 73 million women voted, which was 63.3% of eligible women, while roughly 63 million men or 59.3% voted. That's 10 million more votes from women. In fact, a higher percentage of women have turned out to vote since 1964. Women are also more likely to vote in non-presidential years. So in 2016, we saw the first female candidate for president. If 10 million more women came out to vote, why didn't Hillary Clinton win? <laughs> Those stats are shocking. It's terrifying. Like, I thought we were all about equality on this show. <laughs> like, obviously, women are driving the narrative with their with their votes. That can't we can't have that. That's the dumbest argument. You got to either turn out more more dudes or limit the amount of women that can vote. It's got to be equal. Counterpoint, <laughs> you have the right to vote, exercise it. There you go. A joke. Correct. Well, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of just, I don't want to say dumb, but I think it's just kind of short-sighted to say that all women are going to vote for a woman. I mean, uh, the whole idea of voting is to choose for which candidate you want to choose. So even though more women came out to vote than men, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to just automatically vote for the woman candidate. They're going to make an, an informed decision and vote for who they want. 
So just because more women came out doesn't necessarily mean that the woman candidate is going to win. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of factors involved with that. So I, I kind of find that, that that question kind of a little bit, I don't know, I'm going to say odd. I call it very 2020. Hmm. Okay, you know what, Joe, I have to say that I do agree with you because I'm, you know, I always say just because she's a woman doesn't necessarily mean she's going to have my vote. And I've been told by certain female friends of mine that say, well, you know, you're not very feminist. And I'm like, well, no, that doesn't make me like, you know, less of a feminist, but you know, you're choosing, you're Mm -hmm. voting for the candidate, not just because she's a woman. And I don't always side with women all the time in certain situations where if I think she's at fault, she's at fault. You know what I mean? So I mean, I totally understand what you're saying. I totally agree with you. So while Clinton won the women's vote by 13 points, but she lost white women by nine points and black and Latino women who gave Clinton huge victories voted about 15% less than they did in 2012. So what's happened in the last four years that would change this from happening again? Pete. Trump. I, I mean, it's it's really as simple as that. I, I mean, in the in the last four years, there's been such a movement by by women's organizations to delegitimize Trump's presidency. I mean, I mean, if you think about it this way, the day after he was inaugurated was the biggest women's march in the history of our country, um, and and it's and it's not gotten any any better for him since then. You know, and 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 what's and, and when you look at the just the overall numbers year to year because I did that earlier today, he lost support gradually in the first year, a little bit more in the second year. By the end of 2018, his support had already cratered with women. And that's across the board. And so, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, probably the turning point, the final straw was, was the kids in the cages thing, because it might've been the one thing where, where all women, regardless of, you know, their ideology, all saw, the, saw this as an opportunity to say, you can't do that to a child. Um, but that, I mean, again, that might be conjecture, but there, there's some studies that said that that was kind of like the tipping point for some women that were more, you know, more apt to vote for Trump prior. I don't know about the kids in cages thing, but if you've ever talked to somebody who's flown and sat next to a child, maybe they should be, uh, below (laughs) deck with the animals. That's only for a couple of hours though. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. We're not talking about for three months or anything like that. Now I'd like to just uh, disclaimer, uh, Jess's opinions do not reflect on the opinion of all of us here. Thank God, finally somebody other than me. Veronica, I think we just need to record this and you have a button. At this point, just press a button. And it plays between I, should I have a bell that goes on? They're resilient and they heal really fast. <laughs> Eva. Uh, first of all, I think we should have that disclaimer just like be part of the opening to the show. Like we've got all the jokes. And then before they say now we're passing it over to the cast and crew, also their opinions don't reflect us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, Peter brings up a generally good point. Uh, support, like women's support for Trump uh, went way down when you had the visual of children in cages. Uh, there, it's one thing to have him say X, Y, Z things, but there's a lot of people who are able to do the mental gymnastics of, well, he says this, but you know, he's just, he just has to say that. Mm-hmm. One thing to hear that, it's another thing to see children in cages. Uh, and then yeah, and, and, there's also a certain point at which there's a lot of uh, issues that not every woman agrees on, but tend to matter more to women. Stuff like funding Planned Parenthood, abortion, uh, in which he's made his positions pretty clear. He's against all of that. And not every woman believes in Planned Parenthood. Not every woman believes in being pro-choice. But a lot of us do. And uh, that's, it's a factor. It's part of it. Mm -hmm. He's proven who he is now. Mm -hmm. Okay, Joe. Well, you know, we talked about this the other day and I think that this is something um, it's hitting on, especially since um, I've been reading lately some stuff from uh, uh, on Facebook and even from stuff in the family, stuff like that. You know, trying to paint Joe Biden as a pedophile and using that word pedophile, I think is part of trying to bring that wo- that woman side even more than them because, it, yeah, it's something that everybody hates. But my gosh, that just pulls at, at, at now that'll just pull on the strings of a woman. You know, be thinking about her child getting a you know assault and stuff like that. And I think another thing that they're trying to pull out is also. The whole um, Bill Gates vaccine thing is a little weird too, but it's kind of the same thing. Now, granted, you're you're solidifying a, a really, really right base, but I think that's part of what that's doing 
and say, hey, you know what? We're, this guy's way worse than what we got is what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I actually had that in my notes. That's so funny that you said that about what they, you know, what they say about Joe Biden. Right. Uh, Chris. Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, I could be wrong here, but from what I'm seeing a lot uh, is like, you know, he might have lost, uh, if we're talking like women as a whole, he might have lost some support, but he might, I think he probably more lost support in like the demographic of white women because I see a lot more black women who exactly. Support. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, to much to people's surprise, a lot more black women are in support of him and, and his views and, and the things that he's done as far as like the jobs that he's created and shit like that. So there's not more to the, 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 uh, old equation than there used to be from 2016 to now. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Pete. And then I want to go over some of the, um, statistics that we have with the race. Chris, Chris hit the, the nail on the head. The, the big difference, I, I mean, Firstly, when you look at 2016, there's a lot of factors that came into play, one of them being that people of color didn't come out to vote. I mean, they didn't come out to vote the way that they did for the 2012, 2008. And and I think that Hillary Clinton took for granted that they would and that she would keep the coalition that Obama had had started. But, you know, her answer to doing that was doing, you know, a live event with LeBron on stage or with Jay-Z. And I think it actually turned off a lot of people of color from from uh, from, from turning out for her. But the, the big difference, you know, and just so, you know, Chris, according to the numbers that, 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 uh, that just came out yesterday, um, Biden's numbers are actually better with with uh, with blacks and Latinos than than Hillary Clinton's was. So so Trump hasn't gotten if anything, Trump's actually lost even more support support in those two uh, categories. Um, it's the white women that are that have changed so dramatically over the last four years because he, you know, he won, he won women, you know, white women that were that didn't have a college education by a, a huge margin, and he, but he, and he lost the white women with a college education by a small margin, and now it's 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 flip flopped. He's he's almost almost even at women without a college education and he's w- losing the the women with a college white women with college education by a huge amount i mean it, it's like it, it grows seemingly every month it's actually gone up as opposed to most of the other areas where like some of some of the numbers that uh, that, that we've seen have kind of like started to stabilize or get a little bit better for him the women have not gotten better for trump on in, in, in any category yeah. Do you have other numbers there, Peter? I'd like to know how he's doing on people who drink with two hands. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great with them. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Pete, so you just mentioned, you know, I actually want to go over the percentages to show exactly, you know, the difference. So Trump destroyed Clinton with white women with less than a college degree in 2016, beating her 64% to 34%. Clinton eked out a small win with white women with a college degree beating Trump 51 to 45 percent. In 2018, white female suburban voters turned out at a higher level than expected and helped lead the Democratic Party to historic wins. To put it in perspective, in 30 rural areas, Republicans only lost five seats. In 54 suburban districts, Republicans lost 34 seats. Trump has seen his numbers with with white women in general drop significantly, where he beat Hillary Clinton by 30% with non-college educated white women in 2016. He's only seen a 6% lead over Biden. Women with a college degree are showing support for Biden, about 11% higher than they did for Clinton. Firstly, do you think these numbers will hold until election day? No. And also... Uh, take with a grain of salt that college educated people lean heavily left. Anybody that's had a college, like graduated from college post 1983 is going to be very heavily left. So that's not surprising. Okay. See, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with, with Jess about, about this shockingly, but you know, in, in a normal time, you're a thousand percent right. The numbers are always going to start to coalesce to someplace where, where the where they get closer as we get closer to the election. But this isn't a normal time because Trump is the nominee for the Republican Party. And, and if you want to use anything as an example of why his numbers are not going to get better with women, you could use today as a perfect example. Today, oh. Trump Trump did, 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 you know, was supposed to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. And what did he do for 
I think it was 11 minutes of the of the um, of the the speech he was giving. He attacked the uh, the last first lady. Maybe I misunderstood um, <laughs> the question. I thought it said, "Are are the numbers? Could the numbers change?" I didn't. I'm maybe oh, I misunderstood. No, no, no. Did Veronica yeah, yeah. say, the "Are they going to yeah, get better?" I agree with just yeah, the numbers are going to change. Because yeah, if the question was, "Is he going to win over women or like white liberals?" No, <laughs> like no, it's only going to get worse. No, it's it, but it's but it's not even just white liberals. It's just women in general. I, I mean, look, there's. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me that 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 women of color are going to vote for, for Biden probably more in, in, in at least the numbers that they voted for Hillary Clinton, if not better. I, I mean, I think that's a fair statement. I think when you then go, then you look at the white women, he's doing much worse with women that he should easily walk away with this with, you know, I mean, with, with, uh, with white women without a college education. Oh yeah. He's lost he a just, big part just, of his base. He stomped yeah. all over. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is that, like I said, a normal candidate would look at the numbers and say, well, we got to tailor this down to try and get our, you know, get our support back, but he can't do it. He could not even get through a speech today that was honoring women without attacking the last first lady. Yeah. It's I mean, Donald that's, Trump. And, what do you expect? But that's why I'm saying, like, if, if, if it because it's Trump, there's just no way he's going to make the changes that he needs to make in order to to, to address the problems he has. I, I mean, he's like a guy with a gunshot wound that that will instead of actually asking for help, just keep running around and say, look, I got a gunshot wound. Oh, I got a gun. And try and find another guy with a gun. Like that's that's he seems to be he's it's like. He's actively looking for another person with a gun while he's running around with a gunshot instead of actually getting help. Hmm. You know what I also find interesting? And this, this is just like from my own experience. I don't know if some of you have had this experience. I know a lot of women that are closeted Trump supporters that like deep down inside, they do support him, but they're afraid to talk about it or, or to put it out on social media or to even admit it. You know, and my thing is, you know, okay, well, if you support him, then, you know, come out and say it. I mean, why are you, you know, are you embarrassed? Are you scared that people are going to, Well, you know, not to call anybody out, but I saw a post, I'll just leave names out of it, but they said, you're a monster if you don't vote for uh, Biden-Harris. So it's like, people are definitely afraid to say what they truly think. And I know a lot of people of color that I grew up with that they're closeted Trump supporters too. I try to get them to to vote for libertarian causes because I, I see that you know they're open to something but they're they're sick of the identity politics hey joe um also you gotta remember we're in los angeles and we're in the entertainment field and you don't if, if you are if you're leaning right you don't tell people that you just don't do it um it's something that uh, it, it's kind of unspoken and uh, and when it is, it's in very hushed, hushed tones. Um, and that's just a fact of life. I mean, we all joke, we're, we were making jokes about how the Republican National Convention is getting Scott Baio and stuff like that, because those are the open, uh, 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 you know, I'm going to say Republicans. I'm not necessarily going to say Trump supporters, but I'll say Republicans that are in this town uh, that are working in the entertainment industry. But there are a lot that are that are doing it and they just don't say it because it could be career poison for a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have one final question because Brendan's ready to come on. Um, so if these numbers do hold, what does this say about Trump's chances in November? These numbers won't hold. So you're thinking, so you're saying- Oh, I, absolutely. We're not, there's not gonna be double digits. I and mean, you know, we're doing the same thing like four years ago when we were like so sure that Clinton was going to win and it didn't happen. The These numbers are going to—they—they are going to get tighter. Uh, I'll take it tighter, right but yes, it's absolutely gonna, right. Now, is it going to be enough from the win? I don't know, but they are going to get tighter. For those of you uh, in the party of science, right now is not the final. Am I right, Jess? Yeah, for those in the party of science, they sure like to prognosticate, not wait for data. But yeah, I like I—I don't know what's going to happen. That's all I can say. I—I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Yeah. November can't come soon enough. <laughs> okay, let's get Brendan Because yeah, it's going to be a hell of a lot cooler. It won't be 106 degrees. For that reason <laughs> as well, Joe, yes. Please come November, <laughs> please. Well, wait. And Chris Halloween is wearing a hoodie. First. I Chris Halloween is wearing a hoodie. So That's how cool he is. Spice. Then we'll get November. <laughs> okay, so is Brendan coming on, Pete? Oh. Let's see where he's at. Oh, okay. Oh, why would we, yeah. There he is. Hi, Brendan. Hi. Uh, Hi. Can you, everybody hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. All right, Thank you excellent. so much for joining us today. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for having me on. I just want to say uh, I'm so happy that this is on Facebook Live. In case I make a mistake, it's uh, there forever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the point of doing it on Facebook Live. Also YouTube and also Twitch. And, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty excellent. <laughs> So, Brendan, can you tell thank us? Thank God we all look so good, though. That's the important thing. <laughs> but hey, you know what? It's this is this is truly reality TV. So now you're in it, buddy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Brendan, you host a podcast called The Daily Dose of Reality. Daily Dose of Reality. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and what made you want to do this podcast? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my girlfriend has been a longtime reality TV watcher. Um, and, you know, it's something that recently I picked up with her uh, since we started uh, cohabitating, if you will. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been a passion of hers for a long time that, you know, really just alighted itself or um, allowed itself to be a passion of mine, too. Um, and then, you know, just like every other person who wants to hear themselves talk, uh, we decided to make a podcast. Okay, cool. <laughs> So do you have a current favorite reality show and why is it your favorite reality show? Um, so I would say, oh my gosh, I just realized my name is Faith on We. Uh, <laughs> so that's my Dungeons and Dragons name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love you, you so much more now. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, You're not the only person uh, on this panel today who plays DMV. What's your character? That's right. <laughs> uh, you guys can be friends. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, I'm sorry. What was the question again? Fa uh, so favorite you have reality a current show. favorite reality show. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so right now I would have to say that my current uh, favorite reality TV show has to be Real Housewives of New York. Um, specifically, uh, that's the one that I've watched most of. That was the second Real Housewives uh, 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 show. Um, so, you know, it's the one with the longest tenure and the one where we've actually had three housewives basically from the beginning, uh, you know, and they were, they basically started, uh, this whole movement, I guess. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Are you guys getting feedback? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, oh, no, no, we can hear you. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, we hear you fine. You're fine. All right. Sorry, I was getting feedback where I was sitting. We'll give you uh, feedback, but no, we're not getting it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You're doing um, well. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks. Uh, Positive. No, so uh, because three of the housewives have been there for the longest, or uh, four of the housewives really have been there for the longest time, uh, it really feels like you grow up with them as you watch them uh, through the seasons. And uh, I think that's part, that's excellent. And uh, I think that's what really makes a good reality TV show is seeing how people grow over the years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, so yeah. I have to admit something to you. I do not like reality TV shows. I do like certain ones. I mean like shark tank, which I find fascinating. And I just started watching Indian matchmaking, which I'm obsessed with. So mm. that, like, that's like the extent of my reality TV watching, but I have a very important question I want to ask you to see what you think. Um, mm -hmm. Some people believe that reality TV has hurt entertainment because it's cheap and it's easy to produce. What do you think about that? I think that reality TV is actually like the extent of where uh, entertainment can go um, because, you know, there's fiction, there's nonfiction, there's history, right? Reality mm -hmm. TV is stuff that's happening in the moment and just happens to get caught on camera. I think the difference between reality TV and a well-shot Vine or a TikTok now, if you will, you know, there's no difference at all. And I think that's what makes really great content is the organicness of a lot of reality television. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think is actually real as opposed to how much you think is staged? Now, when we say staged, I like to think of it in two different terms. So a show like Selling Sunset does have more of a theatrical staging uh, where, you know, all the desks are facing the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, so and uh, some of the shooting seems to be a little bit uh, guided by producers. Uh, and then there's the other form of staging where it literally is um, 
producers just going while the camera's off, you know, going up to the people saying, hey, by the way, I heard this person said this. And, you know, that's and stirring up the drama. Mm -hmm. I think that stirring up the drama is fine. And I also think that uh, uh, actual staging of the scene is fine, too. I think it's part of the art form. And I think there's a really big difference between uh, when it's done well and when it's not done well. Okay. I actually have to add that I have seen Selling Sunset. I actually did like the first episode and I do love um, Million Dollar Listing too. So, okay. Any questions for Brendan from the panel? (laughs) Let's start with you, Pete. Hey, Brendan. Thank you for coming on today. Um, I wanted to ask you, you brought up TikTok, Vine. Um, So, so I think this is a fair question. Do you think that, that, there's a talent to being on a, on a reality show. I, I mean, you know, by that, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you see so many of these reality people that eventually then try to, you know, find a way to get into some other form of entertainment. So I'm just wondering if there's actually a talent into actually being on a reality show. So I think there's absolutely a talent to being on a reality TV show simply because, uh, because think think of the answer to this question: Would you be on a reality TV show tomorrow if someone approached you? I'm actually, I'm on right now. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But but um, no, no, really. I, I think about it. I think about this a lot. And like the difficulty of being on a reality show is being open and honest a hundred percent of the time about every aspect of your life. If it comes on, uh, you don't have to necessarily. Uh, tell the truth about everything that's going on in your life. But, you know, you have to be willing to address it and talk about it because that's what you're signing on. So I think there's, maybe it's not necessarily a talent, but it's definitely character traits that will make you either successful or not successful in a reality TV show. Yeah, gotta be a train wreck. Then then your money. (laughs) (laughs) Joe. Well, the, the train wreck thing brings up something. Um, do you think a lot of these uh, people that are going into this know that they're going to be uh, like made fun? They're made fun of, embarrassed. I think of this horrible show that was on Netflix called "Too Hot to Handle." Uh, oh, what a piece of junk that was! Uh, you know, <laughs> do they know that that's what's going to go on um, when they sign up for it? So for Too Hot to Handle, I do know that they were not told about uh, the specifics of the show uh, when they started, but they did know that they were selected because they were attractive people. uh, And they did know that they were going to an island and being with other attractive people, right? So specifically, Too Hot to Handle was not my show. That show is not for me. Uh, (laughs) But I I think the biggest issue with, with the concept of that show was that after you get through the first uh, couple interactions of like, oh, we can't do anything with each other, it sort of uh, neg- negates the drama, the potential for drama. You know, there's going to be a lot less partner switching uh, when there's not hookups. The partner switching that does happen isn't going to be as dramatic because you're not involving the physical aspect of relationships, which on reality TV makes for explosive interactions. So, uh, specifically, but getting back to your question, I do think sometimes they know what they're signing on for and other times they're misled a little bit, um, but it's in there. It's in the fine print of the contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Emma, I think you wanted to ask something and then I'll go to you, Jess. Yeah. Thank you, Veronica. Um, so you referred to the, the medium, I guess, as an art form. And I'm wondering if there are any reality TV shows that you think would be like that would withstand the test of time and would be considered like the high point of that art. Hmm. You know, that's actually a really interesting uh, question. I think, you know, based just based on my enjoyment of the of the series, I think Real Housewives as an entire series, you know, all Mm -hmm. all the different cities stands the test of time, because no matter what, there will always be rich people uh, who have to interact with each other. So I think that uh, Real Housewives specifically has the ability to stand the test of time forever. Um, But, you know, that that said, I think that Bachelor and Bachelorette also have the ability to go on forever because they keep finding different ways uh, to change the competition a little bit, uh, different, um, 
I guess, uh, challenges thrown in, you know. So I think a lot of reality television, the way that it's set up now, does not have a shelf life. Um, but one that I do think has a shelf life, uh, and this may be controversial, I'm sorry for saying it, but Survivor. You know, I, I don't know how much how much more they can do now that they've had all the winners back on for one season. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they every season, I mean, and I'm, I'm not taking this personal. Yeah. I'm just saying that every season <laughs> they do change it, and make it fresh. So you don't get you don't get bored of it like no, they do. I, I they totally have been making it. it fresh. Uh, and, and I was going to say, I'm surprised that you didn't list Teen Mom, too, as one of the ones with staying power, because you've got to see these girls go from 16 to like 35 and watch their their kids grow up right in front of your eyes. So that one's like one of those where you get really invested, like you were talking about, about the housewives, how they've been on there a long time. Like, gosh, that's an addicting show. Yeah, how, what do you, how do you absolutely. feel about the, uh, the survival genre, like Alone and Naked and Afraid? Oh, um, you know, I think I think that's a very entertaining genre. Uh, it's not something that necessarily uh, I'm... I'm interested in, you know, watching religiously, uh, but it's always a show that catches your eye every time because it is an interesting aspect because you are pushing your body to the limit, uh, you know, to be out there, to be naked and afraid. Um, so, you know, anyone who signs on for that show specifically, I got to tip my hat and a half to them, you know. Since you're an expert, maybe I'll bounce this off of you. I was thinking about pitching my own spinoff survival series called Afraid to Be Naked, and it's about me <laughs> going out uh, on the online dating scene, uh -huh, getting to that uh -huh. awkward you know, I didn't area. know you were a never nude, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I think there's a couple TLC shows that you'd really fit in on uh, with that one. Yes. So <laughs> he definitely would fit on the TLC show. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> um, I'm, I want to know since uh, since like we're kind of in a pandemic. Well, we're still in a pandemic. Kind of, we're in the pandemic right now. And, and let's say there is a end in sight. Do you think there's going to be more shows like a fear factor type show where, you know, it's more like uh, daring things or like risky things, uh, you know, because like that's kind of how human beings are. Like anytime something really bad happens, we just like make entertainment out of it. So mm -hmm. I, feel like, I, was, I just want to know, like, you think it's more shows like that are going to like pop out of, of this situation? Absolutely. Um, I 100 percent agree with you. Uh, you know, trauma forms. Uh, basically everyone's formative trauma is everyone's formative uh, experiences. You know, uh, I think this is going to cause a lot of trauma for a lot of people. However, I do think a lot of this trauma will take place in more of a fictional sense than it will in a reality TV show sense. So uh, for instance, there was, I forgot, I forget the name of it, but there was a, a form of Japanese theater that was originated after the uh, uh, atomic bombs were dropped. Um, and it was based on basically the sheer release of emotion uh, of the performer during the performance. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, virus related pandemic related stuff um, but I don't think it will leak too much into reality television at least I hope not because you know I'm ready to put this behind us as soon as possible you know what I mean I, I just want to say you lost me after you said Japanese and release I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he likes those I just okay. I noticed something. I, I think I did. I lied to you, Brendan. I do watch more reality TV than I actually say I do. Um, uh, 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 Naked and Afraid. Sorry, I just slipped my mind. I love watching Naked and Afraid and Teen Mom. I forgot about Teen Mom. I used to watch that all the time. And that was like the best form of birth control was watching that show. Big time. Those girls were a hot mess. Yes. Pete, yeah, do you want to something? Sure. Um, obviously, some of these shows give give the people on the shows an incredibly big platform um as far as their ability to reach other people mm -hmm. uh, you know and obviously you know and that goes from some of these shows that that maybe they, they their fans are numbered in the hundreds of thousands or if you're talking about somebody like the kardashians where you're talking about hundreds of millions of of fans mm -hmm. so so my question really is when when you have that kind of megaphone in front of you does it behoove these people in your opinion, to to be some form of role model. Uh, I mean, because because what, what I kind of see all the time is that they love the attention when it's when it's you know good for, for publicity, but a lot of times when it's negative, they want 
their privacy. And, and, and it seems like, like there's no accountability for a lot of them, whether it be, you know, again, going back to like some of the YouTube stars, like the, the Jake Pauls and Logan Pauls of the world, and, you know, even the Kardashians again. Um, so, I mean, do they, should they be, uh, should they at least in their own minds realize that they, that they do have some responsibility to be role models, regardless of whether or not they actually should be? Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. You know, for, first and foremost, before, before I get into the question, I do think that the Kardashians do need to be separated from the Paul brothers. Uh, those guys are crazy. Um, but you know, the Kardashians, uh, I, I think specifically in the case of the Kardashians, you know, we always hear a lot about how they're not good role models, how they made wrong decisions or, you know, you know, they make mistakes all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I do think, I think there's as much onus on the person in the reality TV show who is the star as there is on the person watching. You know, the person watching needs to be able to, in my mind, separate what is what is good and what is bad. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? So it's 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 the whole idea of, I guess, like false idols. You know, like we sh- we as people should not be making idols out of these people. But at the same time, you know, we should be we should recognize uh, game, recognize game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, um, you know, a lot of reality TV we talk about or when you think about reality TV, things like the Kardashians and stuff like that, and that has to have built-in drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite reality TVs are more like where they're doing things. You know, mm-hmm. I love watching, you know, when they're building cars or, or uh, one of these great new things now is where they're, these guys are like forging, you know, swords and knives and, and battle oh, armor yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Those are also really fun. But the thing that that like turns me off to it, which is why like I start watching it more now on YouTube, just watching special do is the drama part. Like I don't think you need it. And especially since most of these people are really good craftsmen, they're horrible actors. You know, <laughs> and I watch it, it's like, oh man, we gotta get this car out this week or I'm not making any money. Dude, just shut up and put the carburetor in. That's what I wanna watch. Like, like, like how do <laughs> shut we get, up and how do we tell the people that's like I'm, I'm here to watch them, you know, bim, bump out the fender. I don't give a crap if you don't like the guy that's working in, in the stall next to you. Well, you know what? Specifically, specifically there, that is, in, in my mind, that's producers who are looking to find to find the story and to find the art form of reality TV. Uh, but they aren't getting the opportunities to do it with the housewives, with the Kardashians, you know, so they're making their own drama or they're uh, seeking it out in a way. So uh, specifically, I know with, uh, I think it's Forge Wars. Is that, is that the name of the show? Yeah, uh, Forge Stars, all those, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, specifically with those shows, I agree with you. The drama is, uh, I, I mean, that's that's like pinnacle stage. It's cringy. Drama. It is cringy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that once again, you know, all respect, all respect, you know, you're putting your life out there. So go for you, man. True. Okay. Um, we have someone online, Brendan, Sean Dudley. He wants us to say hello to you. So oh, thanks, Sean. <laughs> there you go. Sean's watching you. Thanks for tuning in, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and making me realize that I do watch more reality TV than I actually say I do. Oh, cooking shows too. I love cooking shows. But, oh, of course. Yeah. See, to me, I like those shows that show skill more than anything else. Like, I mean, you couldn't pay me any amount in the world to sit through a Kardashian episode because I, I hate those people. I will but, not watch them. I, yeah. I got to say, though, think about this, though. Think about the the uh, the skill of doublespeak where you're saying something and doing the exact opposite. You know, mm-hmm. I think that specifically Dorinda Medley on Real Housewives of New York, she's a pro at this. Uh, she's a pro gaslighter. Uh, I swear to God, you like you can learn a lot of bad skills from these people. But, you know, yeah, I, will, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, though, I will watch a Vanderbump make a uh, forge a sword. I will oh. watch that. Hey, that you, and me, you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. He didn't you watch The Real Housewives? I, I, I have to admit that, that admit early it. on, Just I was a big out. fan of both uh, The Real Housewives of New Jersey and of Beverly Hills. But I, I mean, literally, I think the first three seasons of both, 
I watched a lot. But then after that, it's the constant changing of the people. I, I, I guess they didn't have enough dysfunction, so they had to find more more dysfunctional. People well, to be fair, most of the shows. most of the housewives in New Jersey went to jail. So, <laughs> oh man, sorry, I Teresa. I'm so it. sorry, Teresa. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brendan. So we have your information on our Instagram page. And um, yeah, maybe you can come back some other time and we'll talk more reality TV. <laughs> yeah, we'd absolutely love to be back on. And I know Megan would love to be on too. Uh, thank you all for having me. Mm -hmm. Bye, have a good night. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, thank you. So it's time for just one question where we take some of the topics we covered at the top of the show and ask you one question about them. Pizza Hut announced today that they are closing 300 locations because one of their biggest franchisers is going bankrupt. Now, I'm not a big fan of Pizza Hut, but I'm sure there are other fast food chains I'd rather see closed first. So my question to you tonight is, if you had the ability to keep only one fast food franchise open, which would it be? Chris. Listen, at risk of being cliche, I'm gonna put it out there and I don't give a damn. Popeyes, that's my shit, all right? That's like literally the best fast, like as far as fast food chicken goes, that's the best one, okay? Better than KFC? Are you oh, kidding me? Yeah. Are you even close? Oh, come, don't even, don't even. Oh. I, I don't even want <laughs> And all the hype is real, that spicy sandwich is legit. Yo, spicy <laughs> chicken sandwich from Popeyes. <laughs> Is the goat of all chicken sandwiches from <laughs> to the lowest level. It is the best spicy chicken sandwich on this earth. I'm telling you, you can't make one better. You can't. They, I don't know what they put in it. I don't know how they did it. I don't know what the spices were. It was probably cocaine and Adderall, but whatever it is, it's amazing. It's the most fire sandwich on the block. There's no chicken sandwich better. And if you say Chick fil A, I will fight you. <laughs> No, we boycott Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Chick Listen, Chick-fil-A had it for, look, I'm a, I won't be an asshole. As far as Popeye's goes, like Chick-fil-A had it, but when they came out with that sandwich, took off. Okay, I'm going to have to try it. Jess. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I hate Chick-fil-A. Man, it finally came here to L.A., and uh, my ex-girlfriend was like, you've never had Chick-fil-A? We're doing this. We made a whole night of it. It was like eating cardboard. I, that one needs to be closed no, down. Chick Fil A is actually pretty good. We we boycotted it for about a year. Negative. But no, those that, nuggets are great. Jeff. Close down Chick Fil A first. Everything else is crap. <laughs> What'd you say? Their shakes, their milkshakes are good. Everything else is crap. Oh, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So I, I would say close them down first. The one that needs to be last standing is the one that's right behind me that I'm braving this 107 degree weather for, and it's In and Out Burger. And like Chris, I will fight you. <laughs> Also, also if, only if you disagree. Tips. Hey, Pete. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, my answer is going to be a little convoluted because I, I, I think that 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 In and Out the burgers are are very good. I, I, same thing with Shake Shack. I think the burgers are amazing, and and I think Kentucky Fried Chicken is really good, and Taco Bell I actually like. But I think if you're only going to have one left, I, I think it has to be McDonald's because. If they're the only ones making everything, they're going to make a lot of things and, and they're all going to be about equally good in, in whatever sense good means when it comes to McDonald's. I mean, the only thing is with me, I, I've gone to different fast food places and had uneven experiences at pretty much every chain except McDonald's. McDonald's, I went to a McDonald's in, in the Virgin Islands once and I swear to you, I thought they were selling fried lizard, but but I was wrong. You're not, um, but, you're not wrong. I've had McDonald's in like three other countries. I, it was still good. It was, it's exactly the same. It, it doesn't yeah. change. Yeah. You could you could get McDonald's anywhere in the world, and it's going to be exactly the same meal sometimes you get better, here. Sometimes better depending on where you're at. Yeah, I, yeah, it could be better. I mean, like the fries could be fresher. Maybe the the meat's hotter, but it's going to taste the same. I mean, it's not yeah. going to get worse. Yeah. And that's and that's why I mean, if you're gonna only have one left, it's got to be McDonald's. By by law, don't you have to put air quotes around meat when you're talking about McDonald's? No, I think that's what Taco Bell. Taco oh, Bell. Okay. They, 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 they couldn't, and it wasn't meat; it was beef. They weren't allowed to use the term beef in their ads any longer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Stewart, what's your pick? Okay, well, first of all, In and Out is overrated, and burgers are bad. Secondly, uh, I'm gonna go Chipotle. 
I'm gonna go with Chipotle. Really? Uh, as the... talk shit about In and Out and say Chipotle. Get him out, Emma. Get him out. <laughs> White yeah. rice and beans. beans. Sucks, dude. It, it's, <laughs> the burgers. Are, listen, yeah. if you're gonna go burger places, say Five Guys. Five Guys is where it's at. That those burgers are. It, Shake Shack's burgers suck. Uh, you guys, you gotta get better burgers. I'm telling you. No, In and Out's. You can tell he's only 22. You can. <laughs> You can't. I'll I'll go with the fries. They're they're terrible. And, uh, yeah. McDonald's wins on fries, but but on burgers, in and out's got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. No. <laughs> so but, you can tell is a little bit of a jerk because I once bought him a Shake Shack burger. And he's gonna be like that about it. Uh, yeah. My answer is Shake Shack. No, you uh, want me a shake. Excuse me. Can I talk, please? <laughs> can I finish what I'm saying? Thank you. So. I think that the overall quality of each individual item at Shake Shack is higher. They also have the shroom burger, which is incredible and delicious. I'm not going to say it's healthy because even though it's not meat, it's not healthy, but it is delicious. And there are shakes. There's so much variety. I love them. Also, listen, I'm a New Yorker. Of course, I'm going to say Shake Shack. This is all with the caveat that I am at least somewhat sober. If I am drunk, I agree with Pete and it's McDonald's. My shame meal is always McDonald's. (laughs) Can I, can I, can I relay a, a really funny story? Uh, when Shake Shack first opened in New York, cause that's where it opened. I knew nothing about it. And so these guys that I, I, you know, I used to be in the club business. So one night we're, we're doing a club and it was like two blocks away from the park where Shake Shack first appeared. And so one of the guys called me on the phone and there used to be these gigantic lines to get Shake Shack because it was such a novelty at the beginning. Um, so my friend calls me on the phone. He says, do you want Shake Shack? Now, I don't know what it is. So I ask him what it is. And he tells me, oh, it's a burger place. Now, for some bizarre reason, I was under the impression when he said Shake Shack that it had something to do with Shaquille O'Neal. And so, and so he's, he asks me if I want Shack sauce on it. And I actually cursed him and said, why the fuck would I want Shaquille O'Neal sauce you like, do I got to shake it to get the sauce? And, and, he, and he, said, no, he said to me, what are you talking about, Shaquille O'Neal? But I I didn't know. I mean, it just, it sounded, I mean, he said Shaq sauce. And I was like, okay, and said something to Shaquille O'Neal. And maybe his, you know, his, his output. <laughs> when you assume you make an ass out of me. Well, pretty much is out of me. Uh, and, now, and now Shaquille O'Neal sells chicken. I haven't had it yet. Has anyone had this chicken yet? And, and that pizza, down. the and Papa John's right one. Right the Staples Center. So, um, so listen, this was really tough for me. Um, I really can't pick In-N-Out. I love their burgers, but their French fries are the coldest thing on the planet. If you order their French fries, by the time they hand it to you out the drive-through window, you can you can put it on. You can you it's it's freezing. It's it's freezing cold. You can use it to like take a shiner out. All right, and then uh, um, so I'm gonna go with Five Guys. The reason I'm going to go with five guys is, A, you get a whole bag. You order a small fry, they just shove all the fries in the bag, and they're good fries. They're really good fries. And then you can go each day and order something different because they have so many goddamn toppings that you can go the whole year and have a different burger every single day. And my favorite part of five guys is that it's dangerous. If you have a peanut allergy, that place will kill you. That is awesome. I love a restaurant that, that is dangerous to go to. So I'm going to go with five guys. Dangerous. The first in and outs in East LA. Come on. Yeah. Every, every fast food place is dangerous for you. Yeah. So there's, there's no such thing as really good for you. Uh, fast food. Yeah. yeah but say- like, if you're not even going to make it to the counter, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See, for me, I have to say McDonald's because I'm looking at the whole menu, like as a whole. So like the breakfast is so good there. And then the mm. fries and, so it's like, you know, there's only going to be one and you're going to, you know, you can have breakfast there. You can have lunch. You can have dinner there. They have the shakes. They have the ice cream. I love their ice cream um, uh, sundaes, ice cream sundaes. So that's, that's what I would choose. By the way, this question is a, is a moot point because if you've seen Demolition Man, we all know that Taco Bell is the last restaurant. That it stands, so. <laughs> Carl's Jr. <laughs> I love Taco Bell. Taco Bell won the, run the restaurant wars. <laughs> y'all, like, y'all do have a great, like, as far as McDonald's goes, if it was the last one left, it wouldn't be, like, hella bad because across the board, you can find something there that you could, you know, stomach. Mm-hmm. Even if you're, like, a healthy yeah. food, but, like, you could find something there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's true. It, okay, it's, so, it's always a go-to. Yeah. So, Barack Obama... Real quick. Uh-huh. Around the poll, because it's real fast. Your go-to order at McDonald's? I'm just the regular hamburger, simple little hamburger and fries. Well, now that quarter pounds of fries, I gotta get the McGriddle. 
McGriddle. Fries uh, only. Double, double quarter pounder and fries. It's the and best. The, double cheeseburger fries and chocolate Okay, first of all, it depends on what the deals are. Obviously, uh, it depends on promotions. Hey, Generally, how cheap could you be? You're looking for a deal at McDonald's. <laughs> yes, dude. Have you been to Mc- anybody who pays regular price at McDonald's is an idiot. I, I got shamed. Fully, hundred percent believe that. I got shamed by the guy at the window. I I uh, tried to use the coupon, and then I whipped out. I have an Amazon Prime card, and I tried to pay on the credit card. And he goes, "Really, dude." <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna try to get a dollar off a shake with this, yes, and I was dude, like, yes. hole. Yeah, exactly. The McDonald's. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the weirdo. Yeah. Flay a fish, extra tartar. That's my go to. That's my go to. Flay a fish, extra tartar. Filet of fish and a and a black coffee. <laughs> Do you guys actually pay menu price at McDonald's? Yeah, we live large. You got a haggle. Here. It's just like. <laughs> Popeyes is the same way. It's like ten bucks if you like buy whatever the base menu price is, and then you can get a deal for a meal yeah. for like five bucks. Stuart has because a point about you know, Popeyes. Like, don't get something in your head at Popeyes like what you want, because you're gonna walk in and there's gonna be some poster on the window, and it's gonna be like eight pieces of chicken for two dollars. You're like, I yes, want that. Exactly. <laughs> That's the same with Stuart McDonald's. Haggle, like the scene, and I'm gonna get you sucker with Chris Rock. Yeah. When he's at the the rib place, he's gonna haggle. Hey, Stuart's making the argument you usually hear right before somebody becomes a street walker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like, you got to haggle at McDonald's. Okay, I'll just work the street. Stuart's right now, he's like, Listen. Big Mac or haircut? Big Mac <laughs> or <laughs> Big Mac? <laughs> also, the McDonald's app has some really good deals. Just before I have to go, they have an app that has really good deals. Do you actually have an app for McDonald's? Yes, dude, you get like, some of the deals are great. Great. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's there we go. Right. Stewart's loving it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Fine. Pay more money. Fine by me. <laughs> okay, guys. Let's move on. <laughs> Barack Obama released his annual summer music playlist. We have it up on the screen. It includes a mix of R&B, hip hop, jazz, and rock, including artists like Billie Holiday, Childish Gambino, Cheryl Crow. Outcast, Rihanna, J. Cole, and Bob Dylan. If Trump were to put out a playlist for this summer, what songs do you think would be on his playlist? I would say Kids Bop songs. Kids Bop, ew. Kids Bop. Mm-hmm. I know, it's terrible. Yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, go ahead, Pete. Is that a double joke because he was on the uh, uh, Epstein's uh, flight logs? No, because they're, no, because they're songs for children. And he's that's a child. Again, is that that's a double joke? <laughs> That's where I was going with that. <laughs> Go ahead, Pete. I would definitely say the number one song on his playlist this summer would be It Wasn't Me by Shaggy. Um, and I'm hoping for late summer his his, his song would be um, Loser by Beck. Mm, okay. Anybody else, Stuart? Um, it would be The Wall by Pink Floyd. Just that, that whole album. Okay. Emma. Uh- Pretty much the entire discography of R. Kelly. <laughs> uh-uh. I won't let you do that, okay? R. was a bad person, but he wasn't that bad, okay? He was a musical genius, goddammit. Okay. Yeah, thank you. How dare you, okay? He might have been a bad person on personal side, but the music was fire, okay? You will not yeah. I'm here with Trump, okay? I won't Listen, even... as, as if there, we're there saying that Trump cares one way or the other about the quality of the music. If it's good... Fine. If it's bad, also fine. He doesn't know. He doesn't give a shit. That's true. He just likes the personality of the artist. I think Donald Trump's the Donald Trump's the kind of guy that like he's one of those weirdos. It's like I don't care for music, you know. Yeah. I I don't think he listens to music. I don't think you know what, Jess. You're right because he just seems like no joy in his life. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Like he doesn't least one to joy in his life. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <good> one, <laughs> bum, you should have written that as a joke, Emma. I'd pay money to see him karaoke, though. <laughs> he just, yeah. Can, we, can, we, can I also add the song "Cruel Summer" um, to to the list for him? Okay. Anybody like else? Wait, that song from Dreamgirls. Uh, I'm not leaving. I'm telling you, I'm not going. Thank you. <laughs> That's a, that's, <laughs> that's going to be his his play out when he. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, honestly, I don't see him as like a music person. Like, I feel like if he has a music list, 
it's probably like classical, like literally classical music, like Bach, Beethoven, some shit like you that. You think so, um, but it has no lyrics. I could, exactly. I could see him just sitting there going, where are the lyrics? There's no lyrics to this. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. You know, first of yeah. all, first yeah. of all, first of all, you want to talk about great music and say that he wouldn't like that, and you're then going to turn around and say Beethoven would be on the playlist? Yeah, exactly. First of all, second of all, every like individual movement is like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's fucking forever. Like, he's got that kind of attention span. Exactly. You know? he the he song does. that would From be on the his playlist would be The Best by Tina Turner, because he'd think he'd be singing about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, he'd be the first guy to have a, an all playlist full of elevator music. Nah, too much swagger. It's not. It's, yeah, that's true. It's too spicy. Okay. Yeah, too many drums and, and beats and things. Needs- yeah, if it was classical music, it'd be Tchaikovsky, like war marches and shit. Yeah. It's real. Yeah, like, or, or it's powerful. Yeah. It's very yeah, powerful. Like, like, uh, like you know, Nazi marches would be good too. Be Something that you know he can kick his boots up to. Tchaikovsky. <laughs> He'd probably have a couple songs by the Scorpions because it's, it's an, I think one of the members of Scorpions is uh, is an, an old uh, neo-Nazi. Really. Oh wow! Well, actually, I'm lying. It was it was the brother of one of the scorpions. Yeah, uh, his brother. I mean, like, yeah, that was the late seventies, early eighties. Everyone had a relative that was, you know, somehow involved with the Nazis. Sure, why not? Okay, so with that, we say good night tonight. Well, in Germany, because they yeah. were a German group. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a pretty <laughs> big caveat. Not last like, I've got relatives who were involved with the Nazis. They were killed by them. Well, still, so, you know, in Germany, yeah. I mean, it happens. Okay. Now, the Nazis wouldn't have a good playlist. That I'm sure. No, of. no, they'd yeah, have a really even go into that. Very joyless people. So that's our show for tonight. Tomorrow, we will be talking to the host of the Leonard Podcast about the American indigenous rights activist, Leonard Peltier, who has been in prison for over 37 years. It's actually a really fascinating story. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Have a good night, everyone. And we'll see you back here tomorrow at six. Bye. Oh, man. I was, I was hoping you would say uh, it was a super fan podcast for the Leonard movies. No. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to be there for that. No, sorry.